Hi, I'm Kathy Brown. I'm a blind photographer, social media gal, and activist. And I think Vancouver is awesome because it's been the most supportive, the most wonderful home I've ever had in my life. And it's my 10-year anniversary, and I love it. Run, run, Welcome to the Vancouver is Awesome podcast. I'm Lindsay William Ross. I'm Adam Nanji. And uh, it's nice to have you sitting here today, Adam. Oh, thank you, Lindsay. It's, it's I, nice to sit here with you. Well, you know, I flew solo for the last one. That's true. You did a fantastic job. Though. You're so kind. Thank you. I was you. like, should I come back? Yeah, I was thinking, should he come back? <laughs> Let us know. Uh, hit kidding. us up at com. Let me know if I should be here. <laughs> No, I'm super glad you're here. You're going to be talking to somebody who's fantastically talented uh, in the second half. Can you tell me a little bit about who you talked to this week? Yeah, so I spoke with Alexandria Mayo, who's this incredible local singer-songwriter. Her voice, everyone will hear it. She performed a song. Her voice is crazy. Yeah, like insane. So she, we kind of talked about reconnecting with creativity and kind of finding strength and power and being naive and being finding kind of almost like going back to your inner child and what excited you and using that to kind of fuel you into a creative adulthood. It was it was very nice talking to And her. she's our third musical guest. And what I love is while you are chatting with her, she kind of turns the tables a little bit on you mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> which we haven't we haven't done too much talking about your musical career this is true and i and i don't mean to put you on the spot right now but I, what i do want to say is that you and alexandria and some of our past guests like emily road mm-hmm. and um devours devours jeff um in the last few episodes, then you can go back into our catalog and they're all from the last couple months. Um, we're just so, we have so much talent here in Vancouver. Yeah. And to sit here in this little recording room in our office in Mount Pleasant and to be treated to these live performances that we can then share with our listeners, man, that is awesome. It is one of the things that makes this job very awesome. Yeah. And I just, uh, yeah, I hope we can do our part in getting those voices heard and their their work seen. Um, you talked to a pretty incredible creative as well this week. I did. She's a dynamo. Um, I talked to Kathy Brown. She is a visually impaired, a blind photographer. She's been part of this tremendous new uh, grant-supported program called Wingspan, Uh, And she'll break all that down, what that means. But essentially, she's been teaching photography to elementary school kids here in Vancouver. Um, But that's just one of the things she does. This lady is a powerhouse. (laughs) She co-hosts a radio show. She is uh, active in city politics uh, on an advisory board. She does stand-up. She does improv. She does PR um she's a great hugger i have to say shout out (laughs) kathy and like total disclosure i knew her before today but she she's just such a uh 
a wonderful, gentle spirit with a big message and uh, talking about finding her voice and it, through photography and through teaching. And yeah, so it's a, a, a we're going to hear from her first and uh, and then we'll have Alexandria on. So I'm excited. I am. I'm always pumped. But let's let's jump in. Let's roll. Abby, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Um, I want to start with this incredible program that you've been involved with, Wingspan. Can Mm -hmm. you tell us a little bit about that program? Yeah, Wingspan uh, originally was the brainchild of Jeff McMurchy, who was a a disabled artist on the island years ago. And uh, with the partnership of Kickstart Disability Arts and Culture. There were there were several festivals that were under the wing, guise of Wingspan, but um, Jeff actually also then uh, got involved with Leslie Roman, who is a professor at uh, UBC. And she, since his death, has kind of carried the torch to continue uh, to showcase uh, disabled and deaf artists and uh, what they can do in their various talents. And this particular uh, project is um, a first of its kind in Canada. And it's, it's a government grant that's enabled half a dozen disabled artists to go into local schools in the greater Vancouver area, Vancouver and Delta school boards, and actually teach to create a process to uh, kids of various ages, but also inadvertently uh, teach also about disability and, and kind of destroy a lot of the myths and misconceptions that are surrounding disability. So I am uh, at Elsie Roy Elementary in Yale Town, and uh, I am teaching photography. And what age are the, the students <clears throat> that you're working with? I have two grade four classes, and I have three grade six, seven classes. So I have about 125 kids in total. That's a lot. So what are they, you're doing separate sessions for? Separate classes. And it, this um, grant covered an eight-week period for six hours a week. So wow. I do Thursday and Friday mornings. Uh, we're on the second to last week, and I'll be done next week, and I think I'll be a puddle by the time I finish because this is something that, that's really fulfilled a dream of mine to be able to teach. When I graduated from McGill 40 million years ago, uh, I graduated with a first class honors in classics and then said, well, I may as well get my MED, you know, the one year degree and then teach. So I approached the dean and he said, nope, we're not taking you. And I said, why? And he said, you can't teach normal people. What? And now this is 1976. And I said, why? And he said, basically, what if you were in a classroom and one kid stabbed another and you didn't see it? I looked at him and said, well, first of all, I want to teach fifth grade. Secondly, uh, what if you were in the class with your back to everyone writing on the blackboard and one kid stabbed another and you didn't see it? He said, it's totally different. I said, no, it's not. I got perturbed. I went to the media 
discovered the power of the press and went into PR, which I have been in now for 40 odd years. And, you know, being in communications, you always teach in some way, shape or form. And but I'd never been in a classroom. Had you ever been in a situation where you had to articulate your process as an artist in this kind of way before? Or was that a change of mindset for you? It's very different. Um, And, you know, part of me still kind of struggles with the perception that I'm an artist of any sort. But uh, I didn't want to delve into the mechanics of photography. Um, Instead, what I decided to do was talk about uh, perception and perspective. So like when you first pick up a camera, you may point at an object and think it is so. But if you change your focus, if you look at it from above or below or eye level or change your filters, you'll get a totally different subject. And I'm saying to the kids, same thing with disability, you may perceive someone is a certain way at first. But if you get to know them, if you talk to them, if you find out what talents they possess, you'll find out they're very much like anyone else, except they maybe have to adapt in a certain way. And that's the way I'm approaching this whole thing with the kids. Have you found that what the children bring to those courses with you has affected how you work or how you perceive your own work or your own art or process? I think that I'm learning as much from them as as hopefully they're learning from me. Um, First of all, I'm fascinated with the way schools are now. I mean, if I look back into the dark ages when I was their age, um, there was nothing like that. I mean, you know, no free flow of ideas and conversation and desk were all in a row and you were taught, you know, the basics. This is so different. It's 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 so fulfilling and nurturing and, and at the same time these kids are learning, but in a very different way. So I'm learning about different approaches. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm 65. I've never had kids. So I'm learning a lot about patience and about, you know, capturing kids' attention and that sort of thing. It's very interesting because there are kids in these classes that would have been considered, quote, difficult. And, you know, some behavioral issues and so on. Um, The teachers have been telling me that they're really over the moon because a lot of these problem kids are the ones who are really blossoming in this program and and being the most creative and asking the most interesting questions, not only about photography, but about me. You know, do you ever get mad? Are you ever frustrated? You know, how do you get around doing what you want to do when you can't do it this way? And it, it really is wonderful to see how they're reacting to, to what we're doing. Do they ever ask you, have you found that they're very candid in the way that they ask you things about yourself or your disability or or anything about your, your life? Very. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and as I say, some of the, the kids who 
the teachers that wouldn't say a word are the ones who are really asking the most probing questions. And and just their curiosity is really unbound. They're you know, they're wonderful. And and my fellow artists, you know, we've got James Sanders who's who's in a wheelchair. He's the the uh, founding artistic director of Real Wheels. Uh, we've got David Roach, who who uh, is a storyteller and humorist, who's has a very severe facial disfigurement. Uh, we've got a, a deaf artist, Kelsey Grazier. We've got a musician, uh, Sarah Jinkling. So it's it's a real mix of you know the the various types of disabilities and our approaches are all different but we're all finding that huge sense of satisfaction and also Richard Harlow who's a blind painter and he's actually been out in the Delta School District in Ladner and he uh, has been producing along with his grade three students paintings that they have done themselves which are tactile because he encourages all his art to be touched. So he's been teaching these kids how to do tactile art. Do we know if this program is going to continue or have you heard anything about that or is it year to year? No, it would be, it would be really uh, the case of, of, you know, looking for more funding and, and with the, uh, the dream of taking it on a more national level and not just, you know, the local level that it has been. But I, I think that certainly with the success of, of what we've seen personally, and, and I think what the teacher can attest to and the students can attest to, that, you know, we're hopeful that this can this can blossom into something more. I, I sure hope so, because I don't want this to be the last time I do this. I know that... I've I've taught in the past and I've you and I have a few things in common in that I also did improv <laughs> and it and you do improv mm-hmm. and it it takes a very I don't know special personality or special tenacity or just strength of character to step out there um, and, and I imagine that the perception might be that you are an unlikely candidate to do work like that and yet you you have a fearlessness about you do you do you cultivate that sense of fearlessness do you feel fearless or or what what's your approach to doing things like taking on a teaching project or getting up and doing improv well i mean i've i certainly in my younger days never thought of myself as fearless and 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 really confidence wise I'm not always you know I mean there's a there's a part of me inside that's going what am I doing what am I doing you know but I do it because um I've been a widow now for over eight years and when I turned 60 I decided that I was going to do things I'd never done before and every year since then I've been doing it you know improv stand up this this teaching assignment um and it's almost like rediscovering what i wish i had known you know 30 years ago but at the same time there's a there's a real satisfaction about doing it right now what do you wish you'd known 30 years ago that i was capable of this you know that i was that i actually had talent as a photographer that i actually could stand up in front of 
audiences, that I could co-host a radio show on co-op radio every week on disability issues, um, that I could be the, the pretty loudmouth activist that I am now, uh, all of that. Um, and, and, you know, I think people just grow at certain stages in life. And I think when life puts you in a situation where you're on your own, you know, you're answerable to you. Um, you are part of a community that holds you up and bolsters you and supports you and encourages you. Um, you do it and you get a kick out of it. And I do get a kick out of it. Sometimes I look in the mirror closely and sort of look and say, there's the comedy. What are you, <laughs> what are you doing? You know, and it's, it's, it's great. Do you, you mentioned the activism. So mm -hmm. if we could veer over there for a mm -hmm. little bit, um, you have a, uh, you work in a capacity or, or you volunteer in a capacity yeah. for the city. Am I yeah. correct? Or I have been part of the Persons with Disabilities Advisory Committee for the city uh, since 2012. And it, it is um, a volunteer position. You have to apply for it at the end of every term. So there's no guarantee you get appointed. But I have been lucky to be appointed now for seven years. And I just got the email last week saying I was appointed again. Tremendous. Until the end of uh, 2020. And what are some of the priority issues that your team is tackling right now? In Vancouver. Vancouver has a long way to go to being a truly accessible city. And um, we have been working very diligently to actually get council to move to develop and implement an accessible city strategy because Vancouver does not have one. Where are we, where are we falling short? Uh, I could do it alphabetically or chronologically, but but I think <laughs> but that it's a long list. <laughs> it's, a, it's a long list, and and a lot of it has to do. If you're talking purely physically, a lot of it has to do with Vancouver having a fairly unique um, architectural structure. There's a lot of stairs in a mm. lot of buildings, um, you know, and that's one simple thing. Um, you know, we need hundreds and hundreds more curb cuts in, in, in the sidewalks. We need sidewalks that are actually maneuverable and not with trees heaving up all over the place, you know, where, where it's a real, it's a real struggle. We need affordable housing that really mirrors what people actually make when they're on a disability. Um, we need truly accessible transportation. You know, we, I mean, the, the list is, the list is huge, um, and the, the challenges are huge. Um, you know, something as simple as bike lanes, which are really treacherous for a lot of people with disabilities. And we just came off a, a bike lane mayor, right? <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, one of our big issues that we've actually been tackling for, God, almost three years now is the whole bike lane system through the hospital corridor. 
through the medical corridor. And that's been a huge issue, not only for disabled people, but seniors. And we work very closely with the Seniors Advisory Committee because a lot of our issues tend to dovetail. Um, we, you know, that's one thing. The other thing, so simple but so complicated, and I've done a lot of media on this, is the straw ban. Right. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that because, because I think you offer a very unique perspective. Yeah. I mean, for and and me personally, it's not that big an issue. But for someone who's severely disabled, um, just simply using a paper straw or a glass straw or a metal straw is really not the answer. Um, metal and glass can actually hurt somebody if they've got involuntary muscle clenching in their face or in their jaw. They may actually sit in a wheelchair at an angle where a straight straw is impossible. You have to be able to bend it. Paper straws aren't strong enough. They don't go into hot liquids because sometimes that's your only way of getting nourishment of, of any sort. So it, it's a very complex issue. So we've been working very closely with city staff to ensure that, um, you know, this ban is not implemented in healthcare situations or, or for people with disabilities. But it's bringing all kinds of different entities on board. It's bringing, you know, uh, the restaurant associations, the bar associations, you know, um, small um, convenience store owners, um, bubble tea right. establishments that really need a certain straw in order for people to drink their their beverages. Um, so it's bringing together a whole lot of things. We've we go to hundreds probably of presentations during the course of our terms where city staff is presenting, where we're talking with industry, where we're talking with different organizations. You know, our input is really highly in demand. Um, and, you know, we're going to be, several of us are going to be instrumental in actually helping the city implement and develop this accessibility strategy. It'll take a long time because most of the things we've worked on have taken at least five, six years wow. to actually come to some state of fruition. And it doesn't even mean it's a done deal. Um, I joked once in a newspaper article that, you know, there's a reason I wear hats. It's from banging my head against a brick wall. <laughs> you know, um, be, because sometimes it's frustrating, but, you know, we always say, you know, our voices need to be heard. Our voices can't be silenced. And nothing about us without us. And 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 really, we have to be at the table all the time. Absolutely. Thank, thank goodness you are. You I know, mean, so, and, and I, you know, I work with fellow committee members. We usually have about 14 to 15 people on the committee. We're all volunteers. We all come from various walks of life, various... Uh, you know, forms of disability. And, you know, we all work really, really hard to and, and very passionately to to ensure that, uh, you know, the city and staff and council all understand what the issues are. And it's I think it's crucially important this time around, because so many of the councilors are new, the mayor is new, you know, um, they, you know, aren't as aware of 
the years that we had been working with previous uh, counselors um, and staff on on various issues. So it's really crucially important that we that we convey what the issues actually are this time around. You had mentioned before we turn on the mics that you have something really cool coming up mm-hmm. uh, where all of us regular folk can see your work. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's it's again a joint initiative between Wingspan and uh, Kickstart Disability Arts and Culture. And it's, um, it's in conjunction with BC Access Awareness Day, which is actually being stretched into a week because there is so much going on uh, to talk about uh, the need for access to talk about disability. It's a wonderful opportunity for the greater community at large to actually educate themselves and find out what's going on out there uh, with regards to disability and with regards to the various organizations that are out there um, supporting and promoting uh, disabled arts in particular. So this is um, uh, an exhibit um, and I didn't name it, but it's called, um, God, I can't remember. No, part of it's called Blind Ambition, and all I can think of is Madonna. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, but it's, it's bringing together half a dozen visually impaired artists of various sorts, and there's a few painters and, and, uh, and some sculptors and some actual visual artists. I'm the only photographer, so there will be a, a selection of 10 of my photos uh, exhibited there for the week of June 1st. And um, I chose a kind of theme, um, which, which is basically what remains to be seen. So we don't often capture the entire picture when we take a photograph. So what I am showing are things that leave something to the imagination and leave something to people in order for them to interpret for themselves what the picture means. And uh, so it's very exciting. I'm, you know, checking another thing off the bucket list to say, hey, I've done it. Um, And who knows? I mean, you know, I I always hope that it means that there'll be other opportunities to do that. And, um, you know, maybe branch out into into different things. Like, you know, I've got a little wish list of my own that someday, maybe, um, you know, I see a lot of photographers doing babies and weddings and that sort of thing. I don't see a whole lot of photographers talking about end of life or seniors. And to me, we're losing a whole lot of, you know, um, intellectual history and uh, viewpoints that that I'd really love to be able to capture and 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 have it as almost like a memory bank for their families to actually go through and say you know here's some wonderful pictures and some and some you know tidbits from their life and viewpoints and and philosophies and that that we're probably losing so that's kind of in the back of my mind, but it's been a little bit busy. So I haven't, I haven't really. You, you are know, a little bit busy. <laughs> I haven't really done anything with that, but yeah. it's it's something that's always in the back of my head. That's 
a lot to think about and uh, you have a tremendous viewpoint. And so just thank you so much for what you contribute to the city and to the arts and to kids. And, and we appreciate you being here to talk with us. And I love making people laugh. So that's the other thing. <laughs> There's I that do. too. <laughs> See, too much. <laughs> thank you so much, Kathy. Thank you. So we're sitting here with Alexandria Mayo. Hi, Alexandria. Hello. Thank you for being here today. Oh, thank you for having me. So there's a lot I want to talk to you about, Mm -hmm. but I want to start with the song you just released in April, I believe, Mm -hmm. Messed It Up. Okay, so that's a beautiful song, which I'm going to get into more later, but this is going to be the lead single from your sophomore LP, correct? Yes, exactly. Okay, so what I want to know from you the kind of tumultuous creative process associated with the sophomore LP. Did you go through that? Very tumultuous. (laughs) That is truly the most poignant word you could have used for it. Um, Yes, I recorded in Montreal with a friend. It took two years to record. Um, I've had it now for almost three years, just sitting on it. and (laughs) That's tough. It's tough, right? To not be able to release... Um, I mean, we've had release dates that have come and passed and new release dates and, and there's so much that kind of goes on behind an album and trying to also like have its sort of best, um, purpose. Like you want to make sure that when you create something, it won't just disappear into the ether Mm. immediately. And so for this album, I'm trying to be cautious. (laughs) Well, that single is very powerful and definitely is enough for fans to chew on while <laughs> while we eagerly await the full length record. I'm curious, is creating has creating always been like that for you? Like do you find creating is cathartic and and fun or is it a bit of a struggle? There's such a dance between the two. Mm. Um I write often in solidarity and it's been a single venture for me for a very long time. Um and I've never worked in a band capacity before it's just always been me and so I think um it's hard like this particular album I kind of stepped outside of my comfort zone and I collaborated with more uh, musicians and whatnot so it was definitely more of a collaborative process which was so fulfilling and I'm so happy with the results but yeah it's um it's 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 hard sometimes um and I find that I found comfort in writing music in my bedroom. So um, that's often my safe space. So when I'm out of that comfort zone and I'm working with people who have varying opinions or varying thoughts that I have to take into account, it's an interesting dynamic. Mm, and I I find that for a lot of artists, like it kind of starts with writing songs in your bedroom and it never really leaves that. Like that's always the safe space for artists. It is. <laughs> and so you you started your career music really young, right? I did. I did. It was it's kind of weird, but I just really wanted to do music, so I just forced my parents to put me into music lessons. <laughs> the fact that like we just didn't have a lot of money, but I was like just find the money. <laughs> like I'll try to like make up for it somehow. But you and you started kind of professionally though pretty young mm-hmm. from what I've read on maybe your website bio. <laughs> yeah, it kind of happened um uh, serendipitously, I guess. And I just think I'm, I was so naive in the beginning, which kind of worked to my benefit. I would send off emails 
from my mom's email accounts being like, um, my name is this and, and I would like to work with you and stuff. And it, and like people, I think, I guess when you're younger and you're a child, people might be intrigued by that sort of tenacity. Um, so I was just like a real go-getter when I was younger and people didn't understand it around me, but it helped me get some opportunities in the beginning that, um, let me travel overseas, perform overseas. And that led to, um, you know, um, publishing songs with other artists and stuff when I was like 12. So it's kind of all, and, and I don't know, I think I just really (laughs) embraced the internet. Like when I had access and like when we had dial up, I was just like on there all the time, but like networking. (laughs) So (laughs) 12 year old networking via dial up internet. (laughs) That must've taken a really long time (laughs) to do. Uh, Let's just say my like internet access was limited (laughs) by my mom and dad. (laughs) Yeah. Fair enough. (laughs) Uh, so I also kind of read with that that your some of your new record is kind of about getting back to that mm-hmm. place where you were really excited to be creative mm-hmm. and create. Can you speak to that a little totally. bit? Totally. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, I was living in Vancouver and I had three jobs and I was trying to make it work over here. And um, I had a bunch of family stuff kind of come up and my health was uh, becoming a really big issue. And I just kind of had this moment where it was like, what do you want? Like, you're not doing music. You're not writing music over here. You don't have time. Mm. Um, And I was having a bit of an identity crisis because I thought I was a musician and a songwriter. And I thought that that's what I was supposed to do. But I was here living away from family and I wasn't doing anything uh, remotely close to that. So I did. I moved back into my mom's backyard. (laughs) And um, and I just, uh, I didn't have internet there for a while and so I was very (laughs) bored and secluded and it just really helped me and there were a lot of sort of things that kind of went into play where the album that I'm holding dearly onto now I never thought that I would be working on it um, when I did and so a bunch of things happened where I met someone who wanted to work with me had a studio and I didn't have any songs but I agreed (laughs) to create this album with them so this was all while I was while I was moving to the island, so it allowed me to just sit downstairs in the cabin that I live in and write songs because I had to. <laughs> yeah, and back to the bedroom. Totally. Right. Yeah. And that's so interesting that you kind of seem to find your creative—I don't know if inspiration is the right word—but by kind of going into a situation almost unprepared. Totally. It's like if you're out of your element. I th- I'm such an advocate for doing things that you don't think you are qualified for like I don't know there's something that that changes your like mindset and I've started to look at things in a lot more of like a mechanical um headspace and um I think as obviously as you get older you start to approach situations and opportunities a little differently um but I really enjoy feeling like I don't know what I'm doing (laughs) and it produces some really fun results (laughs) yeah and like the the people that do it and succeed in big ways, like they don't go to the the academy for superstardom. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm sure that's true for everyone that you don't, you aren't prepared until you like have to do it. Absolutely. It's so true. Well, I'm glad that worked <laughs> for you because I know that can be scary to kind of walk that tightrope to be like, will more music? <laughs> it's scary. I want to ask you so many questions. Am I allowed to ask you your questions about you uh, yeah if you if you want to do you, have you do you often put yourself like out of your comfort zone like I I try to mm-hmm. I try to and 
I think that maybe for me, it's less about comfort zone and it's more about trying to break patterns. Yeah, yeah. And I find, especially with being creative, that pattern is similar to you. And I think people don't know this about musicians. We're so insecure. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and it's like you can have a success and then you get to kind of relish in that for a day. Mm-hmm. And then the next day you're like, well, am I really a musician? Yeah. Am, does this really count? <laughs> And you kind of have to tune back into that idea that we've talked about of like what excited you when you were a kid, what totally. made you want to start. Yeah, that naivety, like it just kept me going for so long. And then I became an adult and I started doing things and it was just like, I just didn't think it was worth it anymore. And yeah. I didn't, it's just weird. It's like, how do you all of a sudden become not sure of something you were so certain of at one point? So yeah, just taking out those distractions and the the things that you hear in your head, it's just like, just get rid of that. <laughs> Literally get rid of it. I read that Feist before her last record basically decided she was done with music and spent a summer building like, like woodworking. Oh, and she was so like, amazing. I'm a woodworker now. Oh my and then kind of <laughs> quit and that let her kind of come back wow. to it. Uh, I kind of <laughs> want to talk to talk to that idea of being naive and excited again. When you were a kid, mm-hmm. bef- maybe before you were networking on the dial-up, what musicians did get you excited? Like what got you so stoked as a seven-year-old to want to be a musician? Um, well, I mean, I did enjoy listening to my parents' Uh, music collection um, and one of my favorite bands is a band from Canada called the Stampeders um, and I just I think I started to really like think about guitar and the way that it was recorded in like the early 70s and mm-hmm. just like certain thing the things that really actually inspired me when I was younger was like production elements really? but I didn't really understand that until I got older like I'm very particular about what I like but I also enjoy things that sound like they were sort of done on a field recording or something really raw and I love bedroom recordings and stuff so I really gravitated to like folk artists like Vashti Bunyan and stuff like that when I was younger it was obviously like I listened to what my sisters were listening to like yeah. uh, S Club 7 and that but like I just yeah. I just remember like being so inspired even like listening to Eddie James like I would just weep <laughs> like I was yeah. so emotionally affected by music when I was younger and I kind of noticed that in the new single, Messed It Up, which you should stream and listen to <laughs> everywhere, that uh, it is a little more like raw than your previous record. Mm-hmm. Sweet guitar tone. I have to drop that in too. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, your voice sounds amazing in it. Thank you. Was that a conscious effort to kind of go back to that? Yeah. What you first loved about music? Totally. It was because I think like that one of the big things that I found living in a city with a sound um, was that I felt like as an outlier in that sort of sonic field, I didn't belong. So then I felt like maybe my first album was treading the path of maybe um, like a, like sort of safe sounds. And I found comfort in that. But for me, like I felt like the only way I could move forward was to, to kind of break that sort of, thing that I had built up in my head of like what you need to sound like to be successful and all these different things because those politics definitely are always in the back of your head and at play so for me it was like I need to do the opposite of what I think I should be doing and I found someone who I could work with um, who really helped me get that out and I've always been so um, afraid I guess in the studio specifically to voice 
what I'm thinking because it is such an internal thing. Um, so I think it really helped me kind of break some grounds on how to actually find my voice in the studio and bring out exactly what I wanted to hear and fight for that sound because it's something I've always kind of given up. Like in the studio, I'll just be like, yeah, that's fine and not want to challenge. Like there's that kind of lacking of confidence that I've been really focused on trying to get better at. Well, we're going to hear the newfound confidence (laughs) next. You're going to perform a song for us. Uh, Thank you for coming and chatting today. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful.
That was Alexandria Mayo performing The Judge. Um, major thanks to Alexandria for coming in and talking with us and performing. And thanks as well to Kathy Brown for coming in and talking to us about all the incredible work that she does. Uh, so if you're listening, drop us a review on iTunes. Yes, definitely. This is the part where we urge you to... <laughs> Give a rate and review us, become subscribers, tell a friend, tell everybody about the podcast. Uh, if you have any tips, story ideas, feedback, contact at VancouverIsAwesome.com. Find us on Facebook at VI Awesome, Instagram, Twitter, VI Awesome. Uh, there's a Facebook group for the podcast. If you can dig that up, join in. And uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being awesome. The Vancouver is Awesome podcast is produced and hosted by Lindsay William Ross and Bob Kronbauer with additional support from Adam Nanji and associate producer Albert Van Sanford. We record in the studio at Glacier Media, 303 West 5th Avenue in Vancouver's Mount Pleasant neighborhood. You can subscribe via your podcast platform of choice to get VIA downloaded directly each and every Monday. And please consider leaving us a rating or review and definitely tell your friends to tune in too. Follow us on Facebook at Vancouver is Awesome, on Twitter and Instagram at VI Awesome, and read us at VancouverIsAwesome.com. Yeah,